And Father, we pray as we open up your word for this moment in the midst of our communion service, keep our eyes on Christ. May we see Jesus only, and may our hearts, compelled by his love, follow. Lord, we pray in the study of the word of God today, you might speak to us and that we would hear your voice through the Holy Scriptures. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Victor Hugo, the author of Les Mis, Les Miserables, actually made an interesting statement. He said life's greatest happiness is to be convinced that we are loved. Now, if Victor is right, and I think he is, then we might deduce that much of what happens in this world is really motivated by this desire for acceptance and love, people seeking it in every quarter, paying a huge price to try to discover it, focusing the attention of their life and energy on it. However, I'm not exactly sure what kind of love he's talking about, because when you talk about love, it can be defined many different ways. And while the Beatles also said all you need is love, I'm not sure they're talking about the love often revealed in Scripture. There's passion to it, but there's also a purity to it. There's delight and pleasure in it, the love of God gives eternal satisfaction. Probably the most popular verse in all of the world has to be John 3.16, I would say, wouldn't you? Uh, I mean, uh, remember the guy with the rainbow afro who used to always get into the sports pictures on television with the big sign, John 3.16, and uh, it got a bit obnoxious, but he got the message out, and most people understood what that meant. It was a reference to the fact that God is love. Imagine my surprise when I was doing a study on the internet, just looking up some quotes and comments about the subject of love, and I found amidst all kinds of comments from many different famous people, this quotation, John 3.16, and afterward it said, anonymous. <laughs> like they didn't know where it was from. Anonymous. Well, God so loved the world, and these are the words of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John. But this morning, just for a moment, I want to talk about another John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16. And let's look at that just briefly this morning. We read in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, implied brothers, of course, and sisters. And this has got to be right on par with John 3.16. It's an amazing verse. And one of the first things we notice in this verse is the idea of the comprehension of love. That is, love can be understood. This is how we know. This is the knowledge, not of theory, but also of experience. 
This is the knowledge that goes beyond the abstract to the concrete. This is the knowledge that Christ prayed about or that Paul prayed about in Ephesians about the love of Christ, that we might know the height and depth and length and breadth, that we might truly understand the love of Christ in our heart. And so, when we talk about the comprehension of love, we need to know that love can be understood. Love is knowable. And that's a very important thought because when you think about it, many people who are searching for love never find it and begin to question, can I even understand? Can I find love? And if I find it, can I understand it and truly experience it? But that's what the scripture says. Love can be understood. And the way love is understood is through a person. Love is a person. That's what 1 John 3.16 says. If you want to understand love, look at Jesus. This is how we know what love is. Jesus. And you can stop right there. Jesus is the personification of the love of God. He is the messenger of God's love to us. In times past, God spoke to us by the prophets and the apostles but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And it's the son of God who comes to demonstrate and to describe what love is. Love is exclusively a person. Now, if you were to go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, go back a few verses, you have that wonderful statement about the love of God. Behold what manner, what kind of love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God, and that's exactly who we are. And although we don't understand totally what that means, when he comes, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone who understands this love and has this hope that one day you will meet the prince of life and the God of love, well, they live a pure life. Because the love of God dominates the soul. It's interesting, when you study the scriptures, you've got God the Father loving, as you see in 1 John 3, 1. You've got Jesus loving, the love of Christ constrains us, Paul said in 2 Corinthians. And you've got the love of the Holy Spirit. We urge you by the love of the Spirit, Paul says in Romans 15. It's the love from a triune God. Now jump over just a chapter to chapter 4, and you've got these famous statements about the fact that God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, repeat it again. God is love. It doesn't mean that love defines God, it means that God defines love, and those are two different things. God is the source of love. And here the epistle reaches the summit of all revelation. You can't get any higher than this wonderful expression that God is love. In the Bible, there are three definitive statements regarding the character of God. God is spirit, John chapter 4. God is light, 1 John chapter 1. And God is love, 1 John chapter 4. I suppose you could add to that God is fire from Hebrews, but 
these statements tell us the essence, the core of the being of the one we call God. He is spirit, he is light, he is love, and yes, he is fire. And so if we want to know God, we have to understand that we're dealing with a person. We're not dealing with the abstract, we're dealing indeed with the personal. Now, according to chapter 4, go to 1 John chapter 4 just for a moment. And it says in verse 9, this is how God showed us showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is the one who loves. And so when we try to express this human emotion, we must understand that it is often watered down from its original purpose because the love of God is pure and the love of God is holy and the love of God is totally complete. No fault in it whatsoever. And then we also understand when we try to comprehend love that love's supreme sacrifice is none other than Jesus himself. Greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. That's the supreme sacrifice. So love is the greatest. It's the greatest thing in the world. It's the greatest thing that we can comprehend. It was Spurgeon who said, when I try to comprehend the person of God, and in particular the love of God, my mind is expanded. It's interesting how many courses people take so that they can improve their knowledge. How many things people do so that their mind will be active, so that the mind will grow and actually not atrophy. One of the best things you can do to grow your mind is to think about God. Because God is so much greater than you are that that is going to stretch you. It's like exercise. The first day you go out and You walk just down the street, maybe a block, and the next day you push yourself and do a few blocks, and pretty soon you're walking a few miles because you've been stretching yourself to do more. So take in the scriptural truth about the love of God, and in in particular the person of God, and let your mind be exercised. Let your mind be stretched. Expand your mind. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things are always going to remain. They're eternal, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love because it's that dominant truth. It's it's the love that covers everything. It's the uh, summary of the commands. It's the summary of our responsibility to God, loving with all our heart. Love our neighbor as ourself. That's why love is the greatest, because love is God. And he's the one who defines it. He's the one who sets the parameters. He's the one who explains it. John Stott said, this statement, God is love, is the most comprehensive and sublime of all biblical affirmations regarding God's character. 
God is love. D.L. Moody was an amazing evangelist of tremendous compassion. Compassion. We've mentioned before that he wasn't a very educated man. In fact, he had no really formal training beyond some classes in grammar school. But when the Lord saved him, he saved all of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was challenged with this statement. The world has yet to see someone who is totally surrendered to God. And Moody said, by the grace of God, I want to be that man. Now, actually, the world has seen what a human being looks like who is totally surrendered to God. Jesus. But that almost doesn't count because he's a little different. So Moody did all he could to be committed uh, to the Lord. And one of the first things he did as a young Christian is he just went through the Bible and studied all of the, of the verses that talk about the love of God. And he said, I was so full of the love of God that every time I opened my mouth, I began to speak of his grace and his mercy. So full that you are overflowing with the love of God. Wouldn't that be great if not just people like Moody, but you and I were characterized by so much of the love of God in us that it would just constantly spill out of us and kind of wash on the people around us. So love is the greatest thing because it's God. Love is God and love can be known. Notice this verse also tells us about the explanation of love. Love has been defined, and love now is going to be demonstrated. That is, to really explain love, you have to see Jesus Christ. You want to know where love is? Look to Jesus. Jesus laid down his life for us. Perhaps in this explanation of love, it's best to understand that love at times is difficult to define. Actually, it's better just to demonstrate love, to show love. Instead of talking about it or trying to analyze it, demonstrate it. Love is best demonstrated. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians 13, that's the great love chapter, and read about love, it doesn't say so much what love is from an abstract or a theoretical definition. It says love is does this. They're all action verbs. Love acts kindly. Love does not act rudely. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love, it's all about action and activity. And that's because love has to be demonstrated. It's, it's impossible to love without showing it. It's possible to talk about love without showing it, but it's impossible to love without demonstrating it. So the explanation of love is Jesus. Now that makes it concrete. The explanation of love is the death of Christ on the cross. If you want to see love, come to the communion service. If you want to see love, reflect on the death of Jesus on the cross. While the origin of love is in the person of God, the explanation of love is in the passion of Jesus. 
And here is the love that causes him to lay down his life for us. One of the reasons we do communion every month is because you and I will lose our way in the Bible if we don't keep our eyes focused on the cross. We'll lose our moorings. We'll lose our way. We will get sidetracked. And in the church of Jesus Christ, the cross is not in danger of being forgotten, but it's in danger of being displaced. Oh, we'll never forget the cross. We have too many symbols around to forget the cross. We wear it on our jewelry, and, and it's seen in so many different uh, situations. The cross will never be forgotten, but it is being dismissed today. And the purpose of the cross is being ignored. And so if you want to know what love is, this is how we know it. Jesus laid down his life. By the way, there's intentionality to that. There's, there's the fact that Jesus volunteered and wasn't coerced. There's the fact that God sent the Son, and the Son laid down his life. And that's what describes what love is all about. Again, let's go to 1 John chapter 4 just for a moment. Look at verse 7. Dear friends, let us not love uh, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God demonstrated. This is how God showed. This is how God Manifest his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Now this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. I appreciate the way the NIV has translated this word, but it only goes halfway. The word propitiation is an English word we don't use very often, but it's a good word, and it seems to hold two things in tension. It's not just the price that was paid, but it's also the fact that wrath has been averted. Judgment has been displaced. A rescue has taken place. And that is this whole idea of atoning sacrifice. He pays for our sin, but then justly removes the wrath of God from us. Talk about love. The explanation of love is the death of Jesus Christ. And greater love has no one than this. Now we can explain love all we want to. And the supreme sacrifice is Jesus. And we can accept that love, but once we do, our lives must be radically transformed. Because now look at verse 16 once again, and you'll notice that love has an obligation. So there is the comprehension of love, there is the explanation of love, and now there is the obligation of love all in this one verse. And the verse says that we ought to love one another. We ought to lay down our lives, just like Jesus laid down his life. He laid down his life for us. 
that was the demonstration of love. We need to start laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is where the church of Jesus Christ is often so weak. We're good at times of talking about the love of God, and, and at times we even want to focus on the death of Christ as the demonstration of his love, but when it comes to us loving others, there's almost always a short circuit. Because we love someone more than others, and that someone is ourselves. And that's why we're told in the scripture to love others like you love yourself. There's not the denial of self-love. That's very natural and human. It's just that we have to work against that trend and against that uh, influence to express that kind of love for other people. Notice love's imperative, love's ought. You ought to love one another, which implies we're probably not doing a very good job. There are some 23 one another's in the New Testament. 14 of them say love one another. And if love is the greatest thing, in one sense, that's almost all you need because if you love one another, then you'll do all of the others. It's the dominant one. In John's gospel, he said, I give you a new commandment, love one another. And by this will all people know that you are my disciples when they see the love that you have for one another. So you and I need not search very far to find the source for the world's confusion about the church. It's found in the church's lack of internal love. And when we truly don't love one another, the gospel is short-circuited. And so maybe one of the things we need to really focus in on for a, for a, as a major focus is to make sure that love is in this place. The love of God dominates this place, and love for one another is on display. John said in... Second John, I'm not really writing a new commandment. It's really an old commandment. It's a commandment you had from the beginning, but there's a fresh new take on it. What's the fresh new take? The new covenant. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to follow his example. You see, the external proof of the internal reality that we are children of God is that we love one another. This is pretty serious stuff. I think John, when he made this statement in chapter 3, actually went into commentary mode in chapter 4, because this is where he really explains what it's all about. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Look at chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he's not only inconsistent, he is lying. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he can see, how can he say he loves God whom he cannot see? In other words, for us to love God is for us to express that love to other people. 
I think the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones are very appropriate at this point. He says, John doesn't merely give us an exhortation to love one another. He puts it this way. If you don't love, you don't know God. And that makes it a desperately serious matter. I almost tremble as I proclaim the doctrine. There are people who are unloving and unkind, always criticizing, whispering, backbiting, pleased when they hear something against another Christian, and my heart grieves and bleeds for them as I think of them. They are pronouncing and proclaiming to everyone that they are not born of God. They're outside of the life of God. Because God is love. And so maybe the proper explanation of my lack of love is not I'm just having a bad day, maybe it's I don't know the Lord. Because when I know God, who is love, that love will go through me and in me and out to others around me. I know some people are difficult to love. But God loved us while we were yet sinners. And we're to have the same type of love. I think it was Augustine who said, to love those who love you, that's pretty natural. To hate those who love you, that's almost demonic. But to love those who hate you, that's Christ-like. That is divine. And did you notice in 1 John 4, it says, how can we love God, the one we cannot see, and hate the brother that we can see? It's interesting to know that our love is the way that God displays his love on the earth. People can't see him, but they can see us. And when they look to us, they need to see the love of God. So the point of this passage is not even so much God's love, not so much that the essence of God is love, and it certainly emphasizes the explanation and demonstration of that love in the death of Christ, but it goes to the application point of the passage is we need to express that same love for others. So maybe it's not too surprising when you go to the internet and it talks about the love of God and the author says, I have no idea where this came from because there's no clear explanation in the church, at least not like there should be. My heart grieves at our lack of impact on a world that is lost and without Christ. This may be the reason. We ought to love one another. And then they'll know. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Oh, Lord, I pray today, I pray that this moment we would understand that this not only redeems us, it transforms us. And there is an ought to this love that motivates us to go out and share the good news of Christ with others. Help us, Lord, to understand your mercy and your grace. Thank you for pouring it out upon us in your Son. 
And Lord, I ask today that the love of God would so fill our hearts that we would expand and so fill our souls that it would overflow, that we would never forget the cross. And because of that, be people filled with gratitude and grace and a passion to share that love with others. In Christ's name, amen.